Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. Hey everybody, thank you for joining the Drunken UX Podcast. This is episode number 89 and we are going to be talking about static site generation, specifically using the service, not service, that's not even the right word. It's the the platform, the tool, the tool set, uh, Eleventy. The phenomenon. The phenomenon, Eleventy. Uh, <laughs> I am your host, Michael Feenan. And I'm your other other host, Aaron. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing uh, quite all right. It's It's warm, it's humid. And uh, the one thing I am certain of above all else is that if you are enjoying the Drunken UX podcast, be sure to check out Designing for Good if you're interested in applying for one of three $10,000 grants to help out a nonprofit organization with their digital strategy. If you want to check that out, go by drunkenux.com slash design grants. You should come take a look at us at Facebook and Twitter.com slash DrunkenUX and Instagoogles.com slash DrunkenUX podcast and come chat with us at DrunkenUX.com slash Discord, D-I-S-C-O-R-D. Compliments to the chef. I think that is the smoothest and like most straight away you've rattled all that off uh, today. That's... <laughs> well, I've only just started drinking now, so I've got okay. that going for me, which is nice. Well, we'll see how I do at the end of the show. Speaking of drinking, uh, I've got uh, this evening... Keeping it simple, keeping it pure, I like to say. Um, Glenfiddich 12, it's a very <laughs> down-the-road, middle-of-the-line, middle-of-the-road, down-the-line, Speyside, very young scotch, but it's got a very fruity note to it. Um, this has a, a, the tiniest bit of peat to it, but not smokiness. <clears throat> I don't know why that is, because I don't think they smoke their malt, but it's there, I'm telling you. They must have taken the peat out before they set it on fire. Um not how that works, but they, they they sat it next to the peat blocks and walked away for a day. It's like how you, how you make a good martini, you just set the vermouth next to the glass and, and you're done. Point your, point your glass in the direction of vermouth. Yeah. Aaron, save me. What are you drinking? I've got the Shackleton again. I uh, Were you the one that told me about the Google Maps thing with this? Yeah, yeah. You can yeah, go down and, and tour the, the little hut down in Antarctica. Yeah, you can actually see it. It's so cool. Uh, it's like... I don't know. It's it's a nice like smooth whiskey and has a cool Google Maps thing. And it was like the first thing I grabbed on my way down. I had a busy day. So this week we are being joined by Stephanie Eccles. She is a software engineer over at Microsoft who is on the Azure Site Experience team. She is a front end focused uh, advocate for developing accessible and semantic HTML. She works on scalable modern CSS. She's also the otter otter otter. I have not had nearly enough to drink yet to be confusing human beings with otters, damn it. Uh, She is the author of ModernCSS.dev and Eleventy.rocks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Miss Stephanie, Ms. Stephanie Eccles. Hello. Good evening. (laughs) Welcome. Yes, so Stephanie is joining us uh, to talk about Eleventy. She runs a website called Eleventy Rocks, which I feel like means she maybe knows a thing or two about static site generators. The, the website's URL is 11ty.rocks. Fair so, point. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it reads cleanly, but if you're hearing it, like, <laughs> knowing that those are numbers matters. <laughs> yes. Good point. <laughs> so, I want to start from the start with you Stephanie and talk about how like is so how does 
eleventy connect to what you do at Microsoft? Let's let's <laughs> start painting a picture here a little bit. Um, the connection is that eleventy is my enabler, so it runs my portfolio. <laughs> that's the that's the connection. <laughs> it runs modernCSS.dev, and it runs about. 20 other projects that I've dealt with it at this point. So basically just the experience. <laughs> so how did you come across, like, where, where, where was the point in the sand when you were like, I want to get into static site generators and 11T is the one for me? Like, how, how was that decision made for you? Great question. Um, and it wasn't so much like seeking a static site generator. I actually didn't know that term per se when I set out. Well, I did know the term, sort of. I had been working with Gatsby for a couple of years, um, mm -hmm. and we can talk about that more, but I don't, I think there's a stark difference between Gatsby and Eleventy in terms of what we mean by static site. So we can dig into that. But, um, yeah. what I was really after was something that, um, initially something I could write Markdown in, because I did like that aspect of Gatsby, um, to create my content. I was essentially looking for a more efficient workflow. Um, and I didn't know Ruby for Jekyll. I didn't know Go for Hugo. <laughs> and just kind of on Twitter, I had started to see more chatter about 11D, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I actually live tweeted my first, um, time uh, building with it, which was kind of a weird decision probably, but I was, uh, also just in general trying to get back into creating. Um, I'd had hmm. kind of a hiatus from mom life for about four years and so I was just kind of generally trying to refine my feet, you know, and and, and figure out what I wanted to do. So it snowballed cool. and yeah, it's my enabler now. Nice. <laughs> but more efficient <laughs> workflow was what it boils down to for the original reason. We talked about, uh, we talked to Dustin Shaw from the Gatsby team back on episode 31. I think that was season two, right? And then um, we discussed Bridgetown, which is kind of, I think it was a fork of Jekyll. Uh, with uh, Jared White, its creator, in episode 65. And then in episode 60, 61, we talked about efficient emergency websites. I think we mentioned 11D on that episode. Yeah. Cool. Um, I, I've used Jekyll. I, I use Jekyll on my personal site, and um, I've tried Bridgetown out a little bit, and I've seen Gatsby but got intimidated by all of the fancy JavaScript that's in it. I want to know more about 11D. What, how can you sell me on it? Tell me. Make it, make it sparkle. I'd love to. Um, <laughs> um, well, Eleventy rocks. This, this sales pitch not endorsed by Eleventy. <laughs> no, I am. Uh, although I've started saying I'm the self-titled uh, unofficial ambassador. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So Eleventy. Um, you know, initially, actually, so the creator is named Zach Leatherman. And initially, his original thought was kind of something that was an alternative to Jekyll. So it is comparative in terms of the speed advantages um, that are sometimes cited mm -hmm. for Jekyll. Um, I don't have personal experience with Jekyll, just make sure I mention that. Um, speed with like loading time for the end user or speed with like compilation or generation? Yeah, uh, compilation and yeah, build time. Okay. Predominantly. Um, cool. But 11D, right, right away, its huge differentiating feature is the amount of templating languages it supports out of the box. So there are 10, which HTML counts, 
Um, hmm. Other ones would be, I mentioned earlier, Markdown, also Nunjux, Liquid, uh, actual JavaScript, and Handlebars, um, and a few others. Um, but even when we talk about you know, implementing JavaScript as part of your build process or a templating language. Um, it is not JavaScript that ends up client side. It is just used truly for templating, um, as part of your build process. So for example, on a really, uh, entry level with that, I use JavaScript date to output the current copyright year, right? <laughs> so that doesn't need to load client side, but it's just simply assisting and getting that you know, fresh information during build time. Um, it does not come with very many opinions. And you can just, in fact, you don't need to use any of the templating languages. You can drop a index.html into the root of your project, and that's all you need. And in that case, you could use it simply to, you know, as I mentioned, what I was originally looking for is something to just make my build process faster. So in that case, it comes with browser sync out of the box, so you get your live local server and the hot reload benefits of that without having to manage it separately. Hmm. But yeah, that's, I mean, super high level. That's what it's offering for you. Um, but yeah, I think the non-opinionated to start, but the ability to layer on complexity is personally what I love about it. That's really cool. I, I, I brought this throwback up several times. Uh, this throw up back. That's disgusting. Michael. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> in a couple of different discussions, specifically of the static site generators, um, when we've talked about uh, like our history and, and stuff, and I want to talk a little bit about just what a static site generator sure. is, because while they are kind of this new hotness from like a bleeding edge standpoint, I think they represent about three to four percent of web websites at this point in total. But the the thing that I've brought up in the past is my history with a platform called Caranto which is a CMS that um, it's a Perl-based system that uh, used uh, the old CGI bin, but hmm. it was, at its heart, a static site generator through and through. Flat file, no database, and it literally pumped out HTML pages based on your use of includes, which is all modern templating languages are doing in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. You could use a little bit... It wasn't JavaScript, but they had some very basic like logical operators like if and while so you could like print out lists of things so to speak um i forget what the actual templating was in that but i mean that was over 20 years ago that we were doing this and this notion of like moving it into like the server side javascript world is really kind of an evolution in my opinion of like the explosion of node and and these new languages stephanie you brought up of course ruby go um, huge uh, amount of support getting behind the Go community right now for its efficiency mm -hmm. and speed, certainly. Um, so a lot of enthusiasm has now gotten back into this. But I want to talk first and foremost about this phrase that people are going to run into. If you're looking at static site generators, you're going to run into this phrase called Jamstack. Um, so whereas LAMP is Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP, Jam is JavaScript, APIs, and Markup is sort of the overloading of the letter a is confusing to me it's I yeah keep, i keep forgetting that it's not apache and, and a is doing a lot of heavy lifting yes. in that too because of how much apis factor into this javascript apache and mysql but for, is it fair though uh, because for instance that doesn't necessarily apply to something if you are looking at a jekyll or a hugo because 
they aren't JavaScript. Is Eleventy is that fair? You you would build a Jam stack to run Eleventy. Is that am I saying that correctly, Stephanie? Good question. I think Eleventy actually sits pretty solidly in that term. Um, I think what can to your point, what can be confusing is you you don't have to know J, uh, JavaScript. You don't have to know the J. You don't have to know hmm. JavaScript to actually get going <laughs> with Eleventy specifically. Um, Lowercase J. Yeah. <laughs> um, you also, again, you don't need to pull in any APIs, but what's happening behind the scenes is that it's using like the, the build process of 11D. That's what it's offering for you is it's using JavaScript and, and node, um, to provide you all those conveniences that I, you know, mentioned with the templating languages and, and everything. That sounds kind of like how with Jekyll, you don't technically have to know Ruby to use it. Um, but like Ruby is definitely the workhorse behind it, behind the compilation. Yeah, as long as you can go in and and run some commands, read some documentation, <laughs> run some commands, you're probably okay. You know, one thing, and I'm gonna back up just a hair when you were talking about um, like the comparison between Gatsby and and Eleventy. Mm -hmm. I feel like, and, and this is one of those like, uh, tell me if I'm being fair in this comparison. Comparing Eleventy to Gatsby is a lot like comparing Rollup to Webpack. Mm. Like Webpack is super powerful. Um, it does everything. It's well supported. It's you know it is sort of <laughs> one of those industry leaders, but it's so dense. It's also super <laughs> dense to get into. But then you get into a Rollup, which is doing the same thing. Rollup is doing exactly the same work as Webpack, but it handles. I feel like it handles like that sort of eighty percent of most cases. It just does super easy and super elegantly, and it's not going to handle the 20% of fringe cases super well, but it's really geared at trying to simplify down and make it accessible to, you know, somebody who isn't like a super dense technical person. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that tracks really well. Um, so I mentioned I did have a couple years experience with Gatsby. I built a very dense site with it. and the plugin dependency was something that tripped me up. I wasn't very strong in JavaScript when I first started using it. And with Gatsby, you do have to do JavaScript because you have to know React more specifically. Mm. And to do anything very complicated um, in terms of bringing in content and figuring out how to organize that content, you also had to know Node. I know they've made some improvements. I, I think somebody told me they actually do have file system page creation. I'm, um, that's one thing I'm not hundred percent sure on. They did not have it at the time. So I had to do quite a bit of gymnastics that completely stretched out my skill set um, at that time to figure out what I had to do to make that site work. So comparatively, to, you know, that would be one area I'd definitely point to. And um, also you end up requiring um, that client side JavaScript to run um, there. I know like with versus something like Next, which is also React, that can actually mm. output pure static. Um, again, I'm not sure Gatsby has added that option yet. Um, so it is interesting that it's still called a static site generator. I mean, yes, it is, right? It's it's compiling your files. You get templating. That would be the, you know, comparison versus 11D. <laughs> but 11D, um, I, I would say the barrier to entry is way lower, especially if you are coming in from... You don't have to have like this seniority status to start using it. You know, you don't, yeah. uh, as I mentioned, you don't have to even know JavaScript. You can, um, 
if you're just familiar with HTML, that's, that's awesome. And then as you realize that you need additional functionality, like maybe you start to get more complex content and you would like to add a CMS behind it, or you would like to bring in some content from an API, Elevity just makes that way easier. There's nothing else to install. Um, the only thing you'd have to learn in that case is how to do a fetch in JavaScript. And if that's the only thing you ever picked up JavaScript for, that's all you would need. And you would be able to fetch content from a CMS and roll it into your Levin D site and continue on your way. So just way, way um, reduced. <laughs> yeah. But you still get that robustness ultimately out the other end. I, I have a little bit of experience with Node. And um, it's my understanding that the equivalent of you get out of VI by typing colon Q bang is for node. If things aren't working, RMRF node modules and then NPM install. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's that, that's the, their version of, did you turn it off and back on again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yes, it does work. I can attest to it. Yeah. Whereas Gatsby, I was constantly, every time I was, I was terrified to update Gatsby because it was constantly breaking on me because of my plugin dependencies not meshing with the core. <laughs> it was constantly mm -hmm. out of sync and you don't have that problem with 11D. So, yeah. another. <laughs> so let's yeah. talk a little bit about sort of like the underpinnings of all of this stuff. And, and this is, uh, I'm, I'm speaking about sort of the idea of static site generation kind of in general um, at this point. Every website starts with a basic construct and that is content. So if you don't have content, you don't have a website. Wait, what? You, what? Yeah, well, it's, it, there's there's a very nice lady up in Minnesota who's written a few books on this um, that I think they take content very seriously these days. Uh, what from from a standpoint of maintaining content? Because if I if I'm somebody who's used to using WordPress, mm -hmm. my idea of creating content is I go in and I edit a post type, or if I'm in Joomla or something like that, or I have a content type in .cms or one of these. Um, I have this idea of editing content means I have to log in somewhere mm -hmm. and I go type stuff in there and save it. And it goes to the database and the database calls it out when the page is rendered. I, you've brought up, I heard the word markdown thrown around. How, how is content managed for these kind of tools? Yeah. So you can, um, with 11 e um, if you would like to just manage everything, you know, in, you know, copy and paste your HTML files, you could totally manage it that way. Um, as you start to leverage the templating features, um, the first concept you'll run into there is the idea of layouts. So layout is a term for uh, a special template that can wrap other content. So in other words, you would have a layout probably for like your HTML boilerplate. So all the head mm -hmm. stuff, all, you know, maybe you have a consistent header, like navigation, maybe you have a consistent footer and then using templating, which you can create that layout. I usually use Nunjux. So I usually use actually a templating language um, because that way I can define where. What was that again? Nunjux. How do you spell that? Uh, N-U-N-J-U-C-K-S. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought you were saying, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Nunjux and then Liquid templating are kind of the priority class <laughs> templating languages um, in 
in 11D. So if you encounter tutorials, those are the two you're going to see. And they have very similar syntax of how you define templates um, or templating features. Um, and, and it's it's not uh, out of line to kind of compare this. If you are somebody who's familiar with, let's just say, with WordPress, yeah. that's sort of the baseline, you're used to doing that same kind yeah. of thing in WordPress templates and using all of the template tags and, exactly. and helper functions and things like that that they use. This is no different from that. It's just yep. a different syntax, but it's the same conceptual grade of thing. Absolutely fair. Um, and typically the most extensive thing that I do is either place variables or occasionally write for loops. Um, you know, that's, that's usually the extent of the features I need. Um, and so you'd create your layout. You'd, there's a special template, um, variable called content. So like you'd throw that in the body of the, of the layout. And then from there, you can create markdown files or whatever other templating language you decide to use um, and use front matter. Um, so that is defined at the very top of your file. There's three dashes before and after the content, and you can define essentially whatever variables you would like to use. So for example, maybe a title variable. So you would then be able to pull that title variable into your layout um, like for the document title or a you know first headline on the page, and then whatever you write outside of the front matter that would get populated into the default content variable in your layout. Front matter uh, for anybody who's not aware of this, like the way I think about this, and again, this may be not the best way to describe this, but the way I've always kind of thought about it is it's almost like YAML type mm -hmm. formatting that you put. I think it's literally YAML. Is it literally YAML? Um, in, in Jekyll it is, yeah. Like, And you just drop it in there at the start of your markdown file yep. to pass it like metadata, basically. Yep, exactly. And so um, you can, like title, for example, that's a, that, that would be a custom one. It, you could have whatever you wanted. You could really, you know, for a more complex site, you could really have quite an extensive list up there. Um, 11D comes with a few more features. So again, as you start to branch out, and if we compare it to something like WordPress, um, 11D does have the concept of tagging. And uh, with that tagging, if you tag your content, say you tag it post, um, all content tagged post now becomes a collection. And so you can that gives you flexibility to create, for example, archive pages where you use a for loop to output right. that list of posts. So very, you know, if you literally are coming from WordPress or if you want to use WordPress actually as your CMS still, um, you would be able to source from that um, since WordPress has an API now. So you, you say I could still use WordPress to edit my site there, though, there at the end. Um uh, there's there's a word for this, right? Headless CMS is that yes. uh, mm. that's like this idea of okay, I'm using a content management system for my editing, but it's not necessarily doing the serving, right? Is that uh, is that sort of how that works? Yes, yes. So we get into API. That's where like those APIs can come into play a little heavily. Is once you can access content, if you if nobody's looked at the WordPress JSON API, for instance. We've I use WordPress as the back end for Drunken UX right now, and we're doing our redesign. And what you're telling me is 
all of my system of record is in WordPress right now. All of my site data, all of my show notes, all of my links to MP3 files. So you're saying I could point Eleventy at WordPress, say, here's my API endpoint, here's how to crawl it, and Eleventy will go grab that content and render it out into my static site for me. Mm-hmm. It can die, yep, it can, you would write that hopefully small bit of <laughs> JavaScript to kind of connect those things. Probably if, small, you know, in the word, yeah, in the, in, you know, a series of fetch files, essentially, right, for your whatever content you're pulling in, your main content, if you're doing the different archive pages. Um, and you could essentially transform that into the local version that gets saved for 11D. And so in that way, you could still produce and keep it one-to-one. Um, you have the opportunity to modify permalinks and all that good stuff based on incoming data and exactly define what that output should be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, arguably, that whole process, while it... It may sound onerous maybe to folks. A, I'm going to just go out on a limb and guess that somebody has probably written the scaffolding <laughs> to have Eleventy work with WordPress. Just going to guess that that probably exists. But realistically, all of that work that you just described is not really markedly different from just building a theme in WordPress no. to begin with and interacting with all of the WordPress APIs and everything it does. It's just shifting the responsibility from PHP and a WordPress theme to JavaScript and Eleventy. Yeah, um, but yeah. really any CMS, any CMS that offers an API, um, and that could be even an RSS feed. You could use an RSS feed as an API, um, which I was mm. doing on a couple of sites. And since yeah. you have access to anything in Node at build time, um, it. I hit my head against the wall trying to build my own, and then remembered that fact. <laughs> you can grab an RSS. <laughs> package have it help you do the transform and again everything turns into flat files you're not you're not putting that burden on the client side so little fun things you kind of encounter Mm -hmm. that just make again for me it's about efficiency and (laughs) if i have my content then use elemity to transform it the rest of the way (laughs) so if you're doing this all on your own um You've got your content. You say, okay, I've, I've got some Markdown files I've written. I, I understand Markdown. We need to create the framework for this, right, to do this. So that means having some something called a build process. And a build build process, a build pipeline can take on many, many, many shapes in, at that point. The idea is that you have a series of tools that will go through and execute a bunch of commands for you and... At the end of all of those commands, you have something you need, whether that is compiled CSS, compiled JavaScript, or in our case, a static site. You need, for different static site generators, you need a little bit of a different background, right? So there's there's an article we'll have in the show notes over from ample.com that has a, a spreadsheet that you can look at that helps you kind of decide, like, what kind of static site generator is good for you are you a javascript person then you're probably looking at something that can interface with node which means eleventy which means gatsby if you're looking at ruby then you're probably looking at jekyll you're looking at bridgetown if you're looking at go you're looking at something like hugo like you you have your your options you don't want to pick something that is out of line with your skill set to start with but from there what other i mean there are there are other ways, right, of doing this. Um, like, 
that that tool I'd mentioned, Speedlify, one of the big like selling points of it is it interfaces directly with Netlify. Netlify is a host, for lack of a better term. It's, they're just a host. They but they are designed for things like static sites and to run build tasks for you and to take that so that build process, that thing that you have that you maybe are using like with Webpack to make your CSS and things like that, you can use that to do anything that you can pipeline JavaScript into. Um, but one of the, the cool things, and I don't know, do you, are you doing any of this, Stephanie, with like the modern CSS uh, website or any of these, like using Git uh, directly? Yes. Uh, because some folks I know are doing that, right? How, how does that work exactly? Yes. Not exactly, vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So if your host supports uh, so your key term here is continuous integration. If your host supports <laughs> CI, that, CI, yes, <laughs> CI, <laughs> CI, CD. So continuous integration <laughs> and the complement or the other important part of it is continuous deployment. So uh, for Netlify would be one of the hosts that supports this. And what you can do um, is directly hook up the GitHub repository that you have your 11 year whatever other type of site that has a build process attached to it. And actually it doesn't require a build process for Netlify, um, but it definitely supports it and is optimized for it. Um, so you point it at your GitHub repo, you provide them, you know, just fill out the one form field to, to say what the build process runs on um, and what the output directory is. So what should, you know, once it's built out, what should actually appear to as the site and from there, whenever you make a commit to GitHub, so you when you update your site files, the continuous integration part is that it will pick up those changes and immediate, and then the continuous deploy is it will immediately deploy a yeah. site. Okay, I have a droplet with DigitalOcean, and the uh, the approach that I've used, I installed Node, I've got my Speedlify instance set up, and I'm just going to use Cron, and the because the the package itself already has the build script implemented in it. Um, you just NPM run build production and it outputs everything into a folder underscore site. And that's your literal website. So in Apache, I've just said, well, this site's root is underscore site. So every time it gets rebuilt, it's just there. And then I'm just going to use a cron job to say, go run this once a day, every 24 hours, just go run this on a schedule. And then every day I get my, my site, my site statistics, fresh and clean. I want to finish this section on uh, hosting a little bit, right? Because Netlify obviously is an option. Netlify has a free tier. It's a pretty generous free tier, I mm -hmm. think, for most folks. What when you are, and this is kind of the softball question, right? Because if you're building static sites, what are the considerations for hosting? Yeah. So. It depends if you want the build process to happen on your host, right? If you would like to pre-build it, you could host it on GitHub pages or other, you know, very more, more basic hosting where you just essentially upload the final production ready files. So that opens up, you know, quite a few options. Um, it's just if you want the build process, then you may have to seek that out specifically. So Netlify would be one. Um, I'll give a plug <laughs> that Azure just released their static site um, complement as well, static web apps. Um, and that offers similar process where you point it out your GitHub, give it a build um, tool, and there is also a free tier available for that. 
So seeking out uh, essentially, well, I guess it boils down to that's your first question. Do you want the build to happen on the host or do you want to just go ahead and pre-compile everything? Hmm. The, the beauty, the beauty of it, the beautiful thing about it, right. Is that for once you have it, even if you build it locally on your own machine, Mm -hmm. one thing, um, I, I don't do this to make a static site, but I do it for some other stuff and it could be used for a static site. I have a completely local instance of WordPress. I I run for security reasons. It's on my local machine using local. Um, and, and I use that. I spin it up when I need to work with it. I could do that. For instance, let's say drunken UX. I want to edit my podcast site. I could have that be a local instance. I spin up only to use it and build it and push it out when it's, built and then i don't have to think about it in between episodes with those static files you could you could host that on a shoebox yeah practically <laughs> that like that's when to go back aaron you were talking about this right you brought up the emergency website issue and challenge and this, accepted yeah well <laughs> hey you can you can literally build a raspberry pi into an uh, i was just um, gonna say an altoids box and that will run a website <laughs> so like static sites need uh, static size again, minus Stephanie, what you were pointing out. Like, if you're not building on it, if you're just hosting, they need so little resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the huge selling points at that point is it reduces the overhead by literal orders of magnitude at that yes. point. Not needing MySQL, not needing PHP, um, not needing Node if you're not building on the machine. Yes. So something something to consider that you can really host almost anywhere depending on your circumstances. Yeah. I mean, I, I think an important consideration that often comes up associated to Jamstack and definitely impacts your hosting considerations is once you start to grow complexity beyond um, truly, truly static, uh, the other term you'll encounter is serverless functions. So being able to do some Did additional... Did you say sur- surrealist functions? <laughs> that too. No. <laughs> serverless. <laughs> Serverless. Okay. Okay. I thought you meant like a, a party at Solvert or Dolly's house or something. Yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> everything drips. It's fine. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So that would be another consideration when looking at hosting. So what that offers you for a low key example that is like was one of my entry points into needing that functionality was having being able to use um, private keys and run a function to grab my form submissions and push those to my newsletter service. So like people Hmm. can subscribe to my newsletter and that would be, since you don't have a database, so like WordPress, of course you, I mean, I used gravity forms, for example, (laughs) didn't have to worry about forms. It completely offloaded that responsibility. Um, But if you do want forms, you want to bring in some of that interactivity. That's another area that you would want to look at to compare um, where you would want to host. Um, you could get away with doing all of it client-side JavaScript. You're just losing maybe a little extra security, whereas serverless functions um, on your host, uh, you would have access to things like environment variables, which helps keep that information like API keys private for services that yeah. you're reaching out to. Um, Lambda, AWS mm-hmm. Lambda for folks mm-hmm. that are, if you maybe dug into that or looked into it all or heard it, um, that's a serverless serverless yeah. architecture. It's just designed to run little chunks of code for you here and there. Um, 
we we use that uh, for some tools that we've built at work um, in combination with a, uh, API Gateway at AWS. So we literally build our own APIs that access our own serverless functions um, to service our own tools in that case. So we don't have an EC2 instance out there sitting idle, let's say 60% of the time. It just runs these little tasks that take, you know, 70 milliseconds, 90 milliseconds for them to execute on demand. And we just pay for that at that point. So I'll throw a link uh, uh, into the show notes about serverless functions. Cause that is that, that can get into some weeds um, mm-hmm. really quickly, but I do think it's a good conversation and a very interesting, like, uh, nexus of all of these different kind of tools, mm. so to speak. Yeah. It kind of bridges that, you know, question of like, can I get away with purely static? Yes. Here's how you maybe still get some of your functionality back right. um, that you might miss mm-hmm. from having database and everything. All oh, believe me, I still have questions. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we are going to, we are going to hit some hard, some hard things. <laughs> okay. So here's the meat and potatoes. We want to make a blog. Plain old, let's say, plain Jane kind of thing. I'm not going to throw any weird curveballs here, so to speak. Yeah. We're going to make a blog in Eleventy, uh, and, and we are thinking about how. Step one, I probably need to set up, let's say, a local environment. That's that's done. Hand, hand waved, done. <laughs> I have installed Node, and I've done an NPM install. Eleventy, uh, so I've I've got those base things. My package.json file has Eleventy installed, uh, and now I'm staring at a directory. And I've done that's in npm init. My my directory is now initialized. All of that. Now what? <laughs> what is the next thing I should be thinking about doing? Yeah. So the first thing is to think about how you would like your directory f- to function, because again, that's up to you. If you would like to host all of your files just at the root, you totally can. A recommendation would be that you do add an 11D config, which that's .11D spelled out, um, .js. And in there, the first thing you can define is customizing your input and output directories. So, for example, that would allow you to start placing files in a source directory, if that's your preference. Right. So that would be my first step, um, just to <laughs> make sure I don't have to remove it, things later. <laughs> I love that advice. That's exactly what we're going to do. We've made an 11t.js <laughs> file. We've said, you know what, we're going to have a source file for our our source stuff, and we're going to have a, a site directory for our output. And yeah. that site directory is what we'll actually serve from. Correct. Yeah. So at this point, um, you can create an index file in that source with... Markdown with HTML, whatever you're comfortable with. So, um, and the beauty of that too is if you head down the path of Markdown and you find that you want to do something more complex, you could absolutely change that file extension somewhere down the road and make that choice to be more. So just to say you're not locked in. And and some of these things, right, you can mix and match a little bit, right? Yes. Like none, you brought up Nunjucks earlier. Nunjex mm-hmm. actually works in conjunction with Markdown. Yes. So you could install, I assume you would install a, and let's say that's what I want to do. I'm like, I'm thinking about, well, I need to be able to make an archive page. So I want to be able to do a loop of things. So I need some amount of logic. I'm going to use Nunjex. 
there's just a plugin, I would assume, for 11T that I would install for that? No. Nope. It is already ready to go. You it's just already baked get on in. with it. Okay, even better. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So I kind of walked through the layout idea earlier. So you'd want to create kind of your – think about what those layouts are. So – um, a base file that has kind of your boilerplate, again, just so you're not, you're not having to repeat the true like HTML boilerplate stuff. Um, but then you could start creating a few more layouts, like a layout specific to your home page, um, one for your post individuals, one for your post archive. Um, so again, we keep talking about WordPress. This probably sounds pretty familiar, right? But you're inventing these layouts in this case. You can name them whatever you want. And the one unique thing to know about that is when I, I think I did not mention earlier, is layouts um, need to be, so there's only a few directories that 11D will look for. Layouts in particular need to be in a directory called underscore includes. And this includes file is, you can think of as, um, or excuse me, directory. It will hold your layouts. You can also, as you grow in complexity, add um, a familiar term might be partials, so like other short bits of repeatable content that you want to use within template files. So right. you might create a separate partial just for your header and one for your footer. If folks are used to WordPress, sorry, I, I, my yeah. background is WordPress, so a lot of my reference point goes back to there. <laughs> if you if you use a lot of like get template parts, yes, though those are partials. Even if you don't use that word, like that's what that function is doing. You're creating little bits of stuff that you reuse a lot. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so um, there's also, again, the default is that 11D is going to run off of um, file system page creation. So if we go to start creating our posts and we create a post actual directory within our source directory, anything we place in there is going to be prepended with that post um, off of our root. So just something to be aware of. Um we can certainly change that, but let's just run with that being what we want that to be for now. Um, and we mentioned front matter earlier and the idea of adding tags. So um, if you wanted to be able to query uh, with your templating language to create like a for loop of those things, um, just placing them in the directory doesn't automatically like create them as a queryable collection. But if we add tags to them that are all post, now you have created an official collection and you can access that within any layout. You can access that within any other template file. And um, important note there, Elevity considers any file that you've created content with as a template file, which can be a little bit confusing. Um, but it's hmm. just because everything, including HTML, is considered a templating language, right? So that makes everything in and of itself a template um, that's producing content. There's some um, shortcuts that you can take to apply front matter. And that's something I would recommend early on when you are setting out to create something like a blog where you definitely do want to, from the get-go, you know, assign certain attributes or variables across, or you mentioned the term metadata, whichever term you'd like to use here, <laughs> but across all those things. So like we'd want to tag everything as a post. So in that case, within our post directory, we would create what's called a data directory file. And it needs to be named the same as the directory. So we'd create posts.json. And in here, just to get us started, um, and it might be the only thing you ever add here, but we could actually add 
use that to define the tags um, variable and define our post. And that way it's applied automatically to everything else in that directory. So you don't have to repeat that across um, all of your posts in there. So at this point, you've already got the file system creation working for you. So it's already outputting individual posts, um, but we haven't yet tied it to our layout. So the other thing you can use your data directory file is to actually tie it to that layout that you may have created specific for um, individual posts. We'll pretend it's just called post <laughs> and whatever template language. Um, and so in our data directory file, that JSON file, we can also define layout and you point that to the file name. And since it is expected to be in that includes folder, 11 already ties all those bits of information together. And so then when it goes to build that page, it's going to pick up that layout. So it's all really nicely tied together. Um, and you can just from there just create your posts and, and just right away. <laughs> and that, that consistent nomenclature then is very important to the overall structure of your, your file system because mm -hmm. it, it it's a very let's let's use this phrase and this is maybe not entirely fair of me but garbage in garbage out a little bit like it's <laughs> it's looking for folders it's looking for things named certain things it's looking for config files that match those names and so just making sure that you are sort of front loading that thought process a little bit is what will pay off then on that build coming out the yeah. tail end and one of the things that's important to keep in mind is um, just because <laughs> I mentioned this from past trauma of other <laughs> systems <laughs> is that Eleventy is going to rebuild this extremely fast. So if you are so, by the way, we could have started our Eleventy build process even before we created the index file. It's going to pick up immediately as you create new files. It's going to instantly build those. So at this point, if we've got an index and two posts under a, you know, milliseconds to be building this. And since it right. comes with browser sync, you know, we are also immediately able to double check that in the browser. Um, one probably tripping point is that, and this is not unique to 11D, but for example, if you create a post with one file name and you, you know, change your mind um, on your local build, it's going to keep that old one. It's not going to blow away the one that you renamed and technically deleted. So just a little tip there that's it, tripping it me up. It generates, it does not delete. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's going to hold what it previously generated. But again, right. the beauty of this is you can wipe out your, you know, if you call it public or site or whatever you call that um, output directory, you can delete it at any time, even without starting and or stopping and restarting 11 d and it will just continuously rebuild. That's, that's what its primary oh. purpose is. Yeah. <laughs> So I want to ask, here's where my, my hard question comes in now. So obviously <laughs> making a page that just shares information that doesn't change is easy. I want search. Yeah. Search in, in my mind, I, I have a database and I have, you know, server side stuff that happens to make that work. How, how does a tool like Eleventy or any static site generator in general, how should I be thinking about these things or, um, you had thrown out there, right, this idea of forms and, and serverless functions. If I want a form for a newsletter that emails folks when, you know, my latest episode goes out, but I need a form that submits somewhere. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, that's normally a WordPress plugin that just saves <laughs> in my database. Now I don't have any of that. What, what is that? 
approach look like? So I'll answer the plugins first. It's quicker answer. Yes, there are plugins. They are not. Okay. They are going to be responsible for um, certain kinds of content transforms. Okay. Um, so Levity has a concept of filters and also short codes, which kind of are from those templating languages it's leveraging. Um, and then also that's kind of growing. People are still kind of figuring out what all to use that for, but it's essentially just some kind of transform or functionality that has the benefit of being aware of how 11D works, right? So they're not going to be quite one-to-one with maybe what you're used to of other things quite yet. Okay. Um, but it's evolving. So something to keep an eye on, I guess. Um, cool. As for like, so the forms cool. question is interesting because there's definitely not going to be something out of the box. You're always going to have, you're either going to have to rely on your host or you're going to have to wire up some third party stuff um, to submit to a database somewhere. <laughs> right. Um, so for example, Netlify offers a forms feature. Um, so that's the quick hack around that. Um, so looking at your hosting, otherwise, yeah, you'll have to kind of wire it up. Um, so let's say I, I'm going to use MailChimp, so I should yeah. probably use like the stuff that MailChimp gives me to make yes. sure that it's submitting directly to them rather than something local that I would maintain. Exactly. Absolutely. You, you, you certainly could mm. use whatever embed type of things because, again, at the end of the day, it's a HTML page. So, yeah, those things would still work. Um, definitely an option. Um, you mentioned forms, you mentioned one other thing I'm trying to remember. <laughs> search, like some, something oh, yeah, like yeah. search is local. Search isn't storing anything, yep. but it does have a certain dynamic quality to it, right? Like yeah. the idea behind search is that it crawls data and identifies what I'm asking for. But normally people would under, even, even in WordPress, WordPress's search is terrible, by the way, <laughs> if anybody is ever questioning that. <laughs> but it's doing basically just a fuzzy match against any kind of database wildcard, basically. Um, search is something I haven't, I have researched, but I haven't quite implemented. But I can tell you the theory of what you would kind of go through. Um, because it would depend on a very unique feature of 11D, which is you can use 11D um, templating, say I'm creating a Nunjex file. I can loop through using Nunjex, you know, say I'm looping through my posts, but what I can use is the permalink function, and I don't have to output an HTML file. I can output a JSON file. So I can use that to customize the hmm. data source that would ultimately be required for search functionality. So, you know, you could either go through the exercise of, you know, building that uh, and shipping it for client-side JavaScript search if you're doing, like, an instant search. Um, you could also, this would definitely be a place to potentially bring in serverless functions where you're doing kind of a fetch out to your your JSON file to help kind of offload that a little bit. Um, probably depends on how complex your data structure is. Um, I know a solution I have seen folks talk about um to not have to roll their own kind of client-side behavior is like Algolia would be mm. one third-party tool that you could bring in. There's always Google custom search engine. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like that's, and you can get away with it. Yeah, I think that's actually used on the 11D docs, in fact. Yeah. 
But yeah, hmm. if you, you know, if you were looking for, if you had a smaller site or you're looking for that instant behavior, um, I think it's useful to know that you can output different file formats. That's also used, um, you'll see that used in starters to output, um, like an XML file to be used for your RSS feed, which is super handy. Um, and also like site maps. So, um, I've used it to output, uh, directory information within a readme type of a thing so that opens up a few extra doors that you might not have considered mm. um, and would be less easy in some of the other available generators yeah all right i think i have melted people's brains enough <laughs> with my roundabout questions <laughs> stephanie i think you have fixed their brains <laughs> with all of the experience that you bring to the table for all of these things that i don't know anything about aaron Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm just going to tell you that I'll be right back after these messages. This episode of the Drunken UX podcast is brought to you by Aquin and Vitamin T's Designing for Good. Designing for Good is an annual grant award program aimed at empowering designers, developers, and marketers to aid local nonprofit organizations in advancing their digital strategy. Designing for Good is accepting applications for three $10,000 grants to assist organizations in areas of diversity and inclusion, environmental action, and lifelong learning. Applying for a Designing for Good grant is as simple as going to the website, filling out a brief form, and submitting a 90-second video describing your plan for helping an organization. For more information and to submit your grant application, visit drunkenux.com slash designgrants. That's drunkenux.com slash designgrants. Stephanie, I want to thank you for taking your time out of your evening to sit down here with us and talk about static site generators and help us understand how we're going to make not just our site better, but every site on the internet better by making them faster and more performant and all of the things. <laughs> uh, before we let you go, I want to give you the microphone. Take it three, four, five, twelve, whatever minutes you need. Let folks know <laughs> what you got going on, what's exciting and what you want people to pay attention to. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Um, if you okay. couldn't uh, gather from our conversation, I love to nerd out about this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I uh, if you're seeking out more information on 11D, um, I'd love for you to check out the materials I have available. So, again, 11D.rocks, which uh, is 11ty.rocks. And you can find some articles there, including one on creating your first basic 11D site. So um, I also have a link out to, I am an egghead instructor, and so I have a link out to a short 20-minute course that also covers building with 11D and also adds in processing SAS, talks about a blog connection, and will prepare you to source content from a headless CMS. So all the stuff we talked about today, if you prefer that in video yeah. format, definitely check that out. But there's a lot of different resources. I have several starters, as we talked about, um, ranging in, in features, um, a few different plugins, and then some examples of stuff that we didn't quite get to get into that are beyond static sites. So um, that feature I mentioned at the end of being able to output content in not necessarily an HTML format, um, I've exploited that and had fun with that. So I've created things like an email generator and a web component generator. Um, so I'd love for you to check that out. And I'd love to see what other creative stuff comes up. So um, 
I am five T three PH on Twitter. It's the main place to get a hold of me for sure. <laughs> um, I'm also five T three PH on GitHub, so you can find all my eleven new projects there and some other stuff too. Um, Code Pen as well. Um, and my other thing that I spend a lot of time doing um, is writing CSS tutorials on ModernCSS.dev. The goal with that site hmm. is to help you upgrade your skills. So maybe you haven't kind of paid attention to all the amazing things that CSS has added in the last year, let alone the last few years. Um, I know earlier this week, folks were starting to get pumped about the end of Internet Explorer 11. So you're ending <laughs> having an excuse not to start using modern CSS. So what do I mean by that? Things like custom properties, using grid in more places um, versus Flexbox when appropriate. Mm. That's a whole other conversation I won't get into. <laughs> but you can find some of those answers on <laughs> moderncss.dev. Learn more about those layout methods. Learn more about other practical ways that you can start bringing CSS into your modern CSS into your um, projects. So I'm hoping that you walk away from that project with tools in your toolbox. Um, I'm also doing a CSS workshop in partnership with Smashing in July. So there's still a little bit of time left to sign up for that, including four scholarships for underrepresented folks in tech. So I'll definitely provide the link um, to check that out. Um, it's a little bit long to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the main things I'm up to. Um, Twitter is where I'm going to share most of my projects. If you're interested in more, um, I'm sure I can provide the uh, my portfolio link so it links out to everything. And I feel like I miss... Oh, I also have a podcast. <laughs> I guess that'd be my last thing. Um, our, I co-host hey, a podcast. We have a podcast too. Yeah, that's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> podcast inception or something i don't know <laughs> um i co-host a podcast kind of we talk a little bit technical stuff but more kind of trying to explore the developer life side of things so topics you're interested in topics that um you know are definitely super relevant to life as a developer um we're starting to have guests we just had miriam suzanne um we're not strictly css focused um but anything front-end related um and then hmm. we did some fun fun episodes on like teams and, and, and things like that too. So that's called WordRap, wordrap.dev. Cool. We are we just we have it we're eleven episodes in, so we're very new to it. Um, the first episode was way too long. <laughs> I don't know anything about that problem. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, don't judge us by the first episode, but hopefully you <laughs> can find something uh <laughs> Folks, if you would like to connect with the Drunken UX podcast, be sure to find us over on Facebook or Twitter at slash Drunken UX or Instagram at slash Drunken UX podcast. If you want to chat with us anytime, drop by our Discord. It's drunkenux.com slash Discord. Uh, and tell us, hey, Ari, what are you doing with static site generators? Is, is there something that uh, you're working on that you want to share? Um, I'd love to, you know, showcase any successes you're having. And who knows, maybe I will get really motivated to go out and finally say, you know what, maybe I will bolt 11T onto WordPress and see what I can make happen here uh, <laughs> for this redesign. I don't know. I do stupid things all the time. But the one stupid thing I never do is recommend that you keep your personas close and your users closer. Bye-bye. Uh, I knew it that time. Bye. <laughs>